0: And welcome to another episode of the Personal Injury Podcast from St John's Chambers. I'm Louise Asprey and I'm Lauren Carmel. This is our second podcast on inquests, the last time we explored the issues faced by practitioners representing both families and non-family interested persons at inquests and the difference between Article 2 and non-Article 2 inquests and we looked at preparing for the inquests themselves. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the recent Supreme Court judgment in the case of R on the application of Maguire and His Majesty's Senior Coroner for Blackpool and Flyde and Another. Judgment was handed down in June 23, and it provides a really comprehensive overview of both the Strasbourg and domestic authorities, as well as clarity on scope of obligations imposed on states by Article 2. Lauren, can you tell us what happened in this case? Thanks, Louise. Um, This case
1: concerns uh, the death of uh, Jackie, who had uh, Down syndrome. She lacked mental capacity and was subject to uh, a deprivation of Liberty Safeguard. She lived in a care home where staff had neither medical uh, nor nursing training. And Jackie was fearful of medical interventions and had sought to avoid them. In February 2017, Jackie began to experience symptoms um, of a sore throat, um, vomiting diarrhoea and a raised temperature. Uh, And a couple of days later, her symptoms had worsened to breathing difficulties and stomach pains and she suffered a fit. So there had been a deterioration staff at the care home contacted Jackie's GP practice uh, and later uh, called NHS 111 uh, and NHS 111 uh, arranged for an ambulance to attend the care home. And having reviewed Jackie, the paramedics wanted to take her to hospital for further assessment. Um, However, Jackie refused to go uh, and the paramedics and care home staff were unable to persuade her otherwise. Further medical advice was sought Uh, And it was advised that it would be inappropriate to manhandle Jackie. Instead, she was to be monitored during the night uh, and her GP called in the morning. But unfortunately, the next morning, um, Jackie had deteriorated further. She was acutely unwell uh, and she collapsed shortly after getting out of bed. An ambulance was called but Jackie resisted attempts to be transported to hospital Uh, and this time the paramedics decided that it was in her best interests to use light physical restraint to transport her to hospital. Uh, On arrival, she was treated for presumed sepsis, um, but tragically died later that evening following a cardiac arrest. And a post-mortem revealed that she had a three centimetre stomach ulcer, which had perforated um, within her stomach, resulting in peritonitis. As a result of a pre inquest review hearing that was carried out into Jackie's death, the coroner uh, initially ruled that Article 2 was engaged on the grounds that there had been an arguable breach on the part of the care home, the ambulance service, the GPs, uh, the trust, or a combination of them in terms of affording Jackie the access to the treatment that she needed. However, at the conclusion of the evidence that was heard at the inquest held in front of a jury and having heard further submissions from the interested persons, the coroner concluded that matters had been clarified to such a degree that Article 2 was no longer engaged in any relevant way. And the coroner's assessment was that it couldn't be said that Jackie's life had knowingly been put in danger by the denial of access to life-saving emergency treatment as per the guidance uh, in Parkinson when we're considering physical injuries where Article 2 might be triggered. Uh, and the jury were directed to give a short Jameson-style conclusion and they returned with a conclusion of natural causes. Jackie's mother then challenged the coroner's determination on this point by way of a judicial review. Her challenge was dismissed ...by both the High Court and the Court of Appeal... ...and the family subsequently appealed to the Supreme Court... ...and the family contended... ...that there was a relevant operational duty owed to Jackie... ...because she was a paradigm example of a vulnerable person... ...under the care of the state... ...which had direct responsibility for her welfare... ...and that there was a systemic dysfunction... ...by reason of the failure to establish any system for conveying a patient who lacked capacity to make decisions for herself to hospital in the face of non-compliance. Louise, what did the Supreme Court say about the arguable breach of the systems duty and operational duties under Article 2?
0: Well, the Supreme Court held that lapses in individual performances within state systems, even if those were negligently performed, would not necessarily amount, or generally amount, to failures of the system's duty. So in the case of Jackie, the systems in place were capable of being operated in a way which would ensure that a proper standard of care was provided Just because a system can be improved does not mean that it is inadequate. The court noted that there is a regulatory regime in place to ensure high standards in care homes, and that's enforced by the CQC. The court also stressed that individual lapses in putting a proper system into effect are not to be confused with a deficiency in the system itself, and confirmed that there is no sound basis for adopting a different approach to the provision of care in a care home, as distinct from in a hospital or other healthcare environment. So as to the operational duty, the Supreme Court said this, when an individual is placed in a care home, a nursing home or a hospital, the state's operational duty does not involve an assumption of responsibility extending to taking responsibility for all aspects of their physical health, with the consequence that if he or she dies from some medical condition, which was not diagnosed and treated in time, the state's duty is engaged and the enhanced procedural obligation in terms of accountability is triggered. Even though the individual may not be at liberty, the state is not for that reason made the guarantor of the adequacy of health care provided them in all respects, with an enhanced obligation to account if things go wrong. Now, last time on this podcast, we touched on the case of Morahan, which was expressly referred to in the Supreme Court's judgment, namely that Article, Article 2 operational duty is not one to take steps in the abstract, but rather to take steps to avert a specific risk to life. So that leads us to the question, what was specific to Jackie's case? Well, the court said that the operational duty applied to the staff at the care home in a graduated way depending on their perception of the risk to Jackie, noting that as this was a care home and not a nursing home, the staff were not medically trained, so were tasked with ensuring she could have access to health care and that staff sought to do this. Therefore, on that basis, there was no arguable breach of the operational duty by the care home.
1: And the Supreme Court also considered whether there was an arguable breach... Of the operational duty on the part of any of the healthcare providers in February 2017. And what the Supreme Court noted um, was that the paramedics and GPs involved in Jackie's care didn't consider that her life would be in danger if she was not taken to hospital, and that none of the healthcare professionals involved were on notice that Jackie's life was in danger. And the court said that the care home was intended to be an environment in which Jackie's autonomy was promoted and she was treated with dignity and respect and that it was important that she had a good and cooperative relationship with her carers. In the court's view, the paramedics had given proper consideration as to the question of whether she ought to be removed to hospital. It was a reasonable assessment that the magnitude of the risk to her did not make that appropriate. And therefore the case didn't fall within the exceptional circumstances that engage Article 2 in physical injury cases. That exceptional circumstance being, for example, whether someone's life is knowingly put in danger by a denial of access to life-saving treatment or whether there is a systemic dysfunction in services resulting in someone being deprived of access to life-saving treatment, uh, as identified in the Fernandez case that we looked at on the last podcast. So, Louise, it looks as though there is no substantive change to the law in this area, save that Maguire clarifies the application of Article 2 in healthcare settings.
0: Do, Do you agree? Um, yes, Lauren, I think that's right. Clarification in this area was really welcome. And I certainly return to Maguire every time I'm drafting written submissions um, on Article 2, particularly, of course, where the setting is a healthcare setting. This case provides real assistance for practitioners because of the nuance between a deprivation um, of liberty safeguard, a safeguarding order, and detention under the Mental Health Act. But it also provides us with assistance and guidance um, given the nuance between care in a care home setting and a nursing home. Um, And one might go on to consider what assessments would have been made of appreciation of risk if we were in a nursing home setting as opposed to a care home. I've also now seen it argued that this case lends further support for the argument that the coroner should really be considering the application of Article 2 at the conclusion of the evidence. So in a couple of cases that I've been dealing with, the family have sought to extend that consideration of Article 2 and the application until the end of uh, the evidence. Article 2 remains live throughout and the coroner can make a finding at any time. But as I say, that's something that I've seen argued uh, increasingly following this case.
1: Thank you very much for listening to the Personal Injury Pod. Don't forget to subscribe at stjohnschambers.co.uk for the latest updates on all things clinical negligence, personal injury and inquest related. Thanks for joining us.